great. Like every decision in life came with a road sign. Don't buy that house. There's bad plumbing in the walls. It's going to burst in 20 years. Or <clears throat> take that job. You may get less pay, but you'll find more fulfillment. Take that job. Marry that girl. Uh, be great if, if life came with road signs that said, <clears throat> go here. Don't step into that. Often it does. We just miss them because his spirit and his word speak to us again and again about his nature. There are things we're going to find to be true today about his nature from Joshua chapter 24, if you want to turn there <clears throat> as we begin. We're going to see some things about his nature that solidifies the fact that these signs and wonders around us bring evidence to the fact that he not only is God, that he is at work around us and desires to be at work in us, but we miss it again and again. So turn to, to, to Joshua 24. We're going to look at these signs today that mean, mean something, signs that point to the evidence that he is at work. Joshua 24, picking up at verse 14 down to verse 18. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us our entire journey and among the nations through which we, we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived, who lived in the land. And we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Signs are evidence, first of all, of God's preeminence. They're evidence of God's preeminence. Look at verse 14 with me, if you will, again. Now fear the Lord <clears throat> and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped. Now, <clears throat> the, the gods <clears throat> their forefathers worshipped were largely <clears throat> man-made or nature-made, meaning the, the earth itself, the sun, the moon, the stars were gods that their forefathers worshipped that he's reverencing there. And uh, they worshipped the created things rather than the one who created those things. It's funny how life hadn't changed much in over 3,000 years. They were worshipping created things instead of the creator who created those things. There was a, uh, an article in 2014 in U.S. News and World Report that talked about the earth and the love of the earth as, our, as the new worship, as the new church, the new religion. Stark article. I encourage you to go look, look it up and read it if you're interested. But it, it was prophetic because I think we've come that way. I think we're worshiping the created, the created things that God has given us to the creator himself. And so here we find ourselves, and please don't hear in, in this, this attack on worshiping created things that, that we need to trash the earth. I, I'm, I'm not for dirty water and dirty air, and I'm not for slinging dirt into both of those things. But Genesis one twenty eight says to, for man to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, that the earth serves man, not the other way around. But we're getting that in, in great reverse order in our day, I think. Here we find ourselves replicating again what, the, what the, the, these Israelites were doing again and again and again, serving the created things to the creator. 
and the earth was for man, not the other way around. So notice here that he, he, he tells him not to just ignore the, the gods of their forefathers, but to, to put them aside, to, 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 to he says here, to, to do away with them. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river. Don't just ignore them. Throw them away. Get them out of your out of your way, out of, out of the nature of what you see, out of the culture of what you breathe and how you live. Remove them altogether from your presence, he says. Here's why this is so important. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Listen to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. And this is in the Great Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Watch this. Punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Why is it God wants to throw those, gods, those other gods away and be done with them? Because he will not compete for your attention. He just refuses to compete for your attention. He will not do it. Over and over again, we, we find ourselves juggling plates and spinning plates and juggling <clears throat> life to say, God, when, when will you show up and help me? And I hear, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I hear him say again and again, when you lay that down, <clears throat> when you're willing to lay that down, whatever that is, whatever is more important than me, consuming your time, consuming the best of your energies, the best of you, when you're willing to lay that down, I'll pick you up. Until then, good luck. Good luck. Keep the plate spinning because I will not compete for your attention. I will not compete for your time. God's preeminence is, is, is a sign of, that's evidence of the fact that he is at work around us. Secondly, signs are evidence not only of his preeminence but of God's permissive will. Look at verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me... In my household, we will serve the Lord. Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. From the garden <clears throat> forward to today, and I think God did it knowingly, but the most dangerous thing, I've said this time and time again, the most dangerous thing God has ever done, ever, is give man a choice. Dangerous to give man a choice. Why? Because we, <clears throat> we blow it a lot of the times <clears throat> with, with those choices, or I do at least. From the garden forward, he brings choice and free will into play. There are things that in life that reflect the, the perfect will of God, the absolute will of God, if you will. Things like the timeline of creation. Things like uh, the, the, the prophecy in Scripture of, of Christ's birth, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, of his return. Those are absolute, <clears throat> per, the absolute nature of the perfect will of God. But we find ourselves here. There are more. Those are just several examples. We find ourselves here looking at the permissive will of God, the things he permits us to do, to, do, to decide, to go for on our own. That otherwise, as I said, would be dangerous in the hands of wrong men. So here we find ourselves in the garden of giving man a choice to say, here's this tree of knowledge. That's my tree. You don't eat of it. You, you'll walk in fellowship with me. But here man finds himself in, in weakness taking the wrong choice. And again, we've done that over and over again. So we find ourselves in this permissive will of God. Again, as I started the message to say, wouldn't it be nice if road signs said, don't buy that house, buy this one. Don't take that job, take this one. And we can find the will of God in those moments, but he permits us 
to make those decisions ourselves. Why? Because he's leading us with his spirit and with his word, but yet if we're making decisions that, that look like they're, they're the most sound cultural or financial or, or, or relational decisions, over and over again we'll find ourselves in the wrong place. The permissive will of God allows for that, but he wants to be seen and recognized and, and, and lead in those situations. If we find ourselves uh, not seeing those things again and again and again, not finding his nature and his will and his way in those things, we're going to find ourselves in a wrong place and in a place that's hard to return from because the enemy enemy beats us down with, with maybe he does with, doesn't with you, but he does, he does with me. He beats me down with every failure and every decision I've ever made that's been wrong. When are you going to get it, son? When are you going to see it? You're not walking in the will of God here. You're outside the will of God, and he's... He's going to get you. He's going to come after you. Instead of looking at God's permissive will and say, here's the, here's the elements I want you to see. I want you to look for me in that and me in him and me in her and me in this job and me, me in this purchase and me. And if we'll look for those kinds of things, we'll, we will and can find him there. Uh, there's, there's the, the, the permissive will of God will never get this. He'll never, ever manipulate you into making a decision. As I said, the element of choice introduced in the garden and introduced here to them to choose for who, this day whom they'll serve. It's a dangerous choice to make, but he wants to be loved. He wants to be served. He wants to be, he will not, as I said earlier, he will not manipulate us and he will not vow for our, uh, compete for our attention. He wants us to choose him above all else. And when we don't, we suffer the consequences of that. Now, notice here as well, and I would admonish this to most of us men, notice here, men, that he gives men as, and as leaders of their home an opportunity to to draw a line in the sand as Joshua does here. He says, as for me, you choose what you want. As for me and for my, and for my household, we're going to serve the Lord. That's your choice. I'm making mine. I think it's a great example, man, for us to, to, to draw a line in the sand that so oftentimes we need to do to say, either for my household, not here, not in my house. You ever hear that? I heard that growing up. Not in my house, son. And there are lines that need to be drawn in the sand to say, not here. For the enemy to hear and for the world to hear, not here. Maybe out there, maybe in your house, not in mine. There are also lines, men, that we need to draw that says, I'm in. I don't care the cost. I don't care what the nature of the, if the Lord's in it, I'm in. Count on me. I think that's what Joshua's doing here to say, <clears throat> my house is tied to his house. And my life is tied to his life. And my world is tied to his world. And my wants are tied to his wants for me. He's drawing the line to say, here's where I stand. I don't care where you stand. I'm standing here. Hell or high water, I'm standing here. Good or bad, I'm standing here. Money, no money, standing here. Life working, not working, standing here. Standing in this place again and again. We find ourselves, men, drawing those lines in our homes. You know what's going to happen? The culture is going to see those lines and begin to draw some for themselves. If we don't, it's hard to see the gray. It's hard to see the Lord through the midst of the grace sometimes. He gives us that permissive will. If we'll use it for his glory, he'll be honored in it. If we continue to wish wash around and, and, and mishmash the way we do it most of, most of the time in life, we'll miss seeing him and reap the, the hard consequences of a culture that's anti-God, not pro-God. Our permissive will is our sign of his, of his heaven. It's God's permissive will. Thirdly, not only are our signs evidence of God's preeminence, of his permissive will. But thirdly, there are signs of God's provision. Look at verse 17. If you will with me, he says this. <clears throat> it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on the entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. 
God performed those great signs, he says here in this verse, before their very eyes. Remember that the children of Israel had no Holy Spirit that you and I have, had no benefit of the written word that you and I have. So they were going on the, the physical signs of God in front of them. And so this memory that they he cast before them, and they, they respond to say, here's where God showed up. Here's where he, and we talked last week, week before last, a little bit about markers to say, here's God. Here he is again. Here, here he is again and again and again. If he is there then, he's here now. If he came through then, he'll come through now. If he is good then, he is good now. So those markers, again, remind us of those kind of things. And here they find themselves leaning on the signs of God, leaning on the power of God, the evidenced power of God to see those things for themselves. This this idea that he's provided for them. He's given them provision along every form of their journey. Uh, and these signs were, were, uh, were they're markers. And so if we're having trouble seeing those things, we need to learn to live with a greater sense of spiritual awareness. I talked about this again a couple of weeks ago to understand that God uses the physical around us, but he would more often use the spirit in us to show us and reveal to us himself. Yes, he works circumstantially around us for us to see, as evidence of the fact that he's in that and this and her and in him. But he far more deeply wants to speak to us with the Holy Spirit in us. So if we increase our spiritual awareness and understand that we have the Spirit in us to guide us, to, to, to give us those, those provisional things in life and, and lead us in the way we should go, we'll see his hand more, more readily, see the signs more or less around us by his sign in us of, his, of himself and his, of his glory. So... If, if, if that's true, and if, if we start to see these signs, we'll become increasingly aware that regardless of the situation, the diagnosis, the, 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 the new thing, God is, saying, <clears throat> God is saying, I've got you, I've had you, and I'm going to have you. We all live we live, we work, we exist, we eat, we our existence, each of us, is at the provisional hand of God. It is at the provisional hand of God over. Over again. So here's God's preeminence, his permissive will, his provision. But finally, signs are evidence of God's protection. Look at verse 18 with me, if you will. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too, love this, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. The Lord drove out all the nations. They had been witness to the signs again and again in, in, along their journey. And the Amorites here that they're referring to outnumbered them nine or ten to one. But in every battle, in every fight, in every step along the journey, here's God showing up to say, I'm God, and I've got this. I'm God, and I've got this. I'm God, and I've got this. And they, they finally got it. He's God, and he's got this. And he did. And they see again and again his hand of protection in them in victory after victory after victory over every nation they faced, and, and the Amorites were native to Canaan, and they had to drive the Amorites out. And they were, as I said, outnumbered 10 to 1, but God's hand was on them, and, and they, they win the battle. We saw that several weeks ago as we studied this book of Joshua together. 
Have you ever considered the things that God protected you from and protected you from walking into? Doc and I had a conversation <clears throat> the other Saturday at men's breakfast about things God has protected us from that we've never seen. Uh, and in fact, that the beam of judgment seat of Jesus, among, among it being a, a judgment of works, I think it's going to be a great revelation of, of God saying, here's where I stepped in. Here's where I stepped in. Here's what I protected you from. In fact, we were having a conversation at small group uh, just this last week and it, with uh, Leanne and Randy pointing out that, you know, if they had been a few minutes earlier, a few minutes later here, there, dead, probably, you know, in a wreck on the interstate. And again and again and again, God protects and oozes his hand in there and says, no, come back this way. No, come back this way. And if, if we would see that here in this life, it probably scares us to death. We want to crawl up in a fetal position in the corner and never move. But the beam of judgment seat of Jesus is going to be a great revelation, I think, that, that, and we will stand there in awe of the, of the protection of God, honestly. Over and over again. God is saying here that whatever comes your way from the outside, Whatever comes your way circumstantially, I'm here to protect you. I've got this. I've had this. I've got you. I've had you. I'm here to protect you. And I will again and again, over and over again. His protection is real. As real as he is, it is. It's, It is as real as the nature of who he is because he can't be what he isn't. So a question and an observation here as we close is this. Have we allowed the things of this world to crowd and cloud our seeing the signs of God around us? We have. I have. And probably you have. We've allowed circumstances, we've allowed money, we've allowed relationships, we've allowed marriage, we've allowed work to crowd and cloud our inability to see the signs of God at work around us circumstantially and in us spiritually. The dangerous part of that is that becomes the norm. And we think God doesn't work anymore. I mean, sure, those signs were for the nation of Israel, but again, like Tim said, they had no Holy Spirit, they had no word. That's how God had, he had to show up that way to speak to them. But he doesn't do that anymore, does he? Yes, he does. And yes, he will. We'll miss him if we're circumstantially consumed with our own world and our own stuff and our own ideas and our own way. If we're unwilling to see through a spiritual lens and look at him through a spiritual lens, we'll never see his work around us. But we've allowed those, those signs to be, to be crowded and clouded away. And if that's true, we need to create enough margin to see the signs. I'm convinced that's 90% of the problem why we don't see God is we have so little margin. Our life is wire to wire, circumstance to circumstance, date to date, appointment to appointment, situation to situation. And we, we look at our, our, our calendar phone or our planner or our legal pad and we see the list of things to do and I don't have enough time to do these things in. And God is saying again, I'm not going to compete for your attention. I just will not compete for your attention. You, you can't work me in. I, I won't be worked into your schedule. You're going to have to create some margin and some time for me to be seen and recognized and pursued and loved and wanted and desired and come after. And if we'll do that, we'll see the signs of God around us, significantly, miraculously around us. 
if he's, if he's got to work his way into our world, into our life, he will say again and again to us, I'm not competing for that. I'm not competing with that. I'm either preeminent or I'm not. I'm provisional or I'm not. I protect you or I don't. You see my hand or you don't. You see the signs that I'm working around you and in you or you don't. And if you, if you don't, it's usually a margin issue. So what do we say no to? What do we push back against to say, that's a good thing. It's just not my thing. In fact, it may be a great thing, but it may be his thing or her thing. And, I, and we allow the enemy to, to consume our schedule with a lot of busyness. And sometimes even in church, religious busyness, we think God likes us more if we do more. And we find ourselves consumed in religious busyness and miss him and miss his signs and miss his way and miss his hand. We need to build in some margin in our, into our life. And sometimes that's, that, that's, that involves saying, having a hard no to, to something that's good, something that's needed, even necessary, but it may be for someone else instead of us. Has that allowed itself to creep its way into your world? And if so, where can you find some margin? I'll tell you, when you find some margin, you'll see the hand of God. You will start to see the signs of God around you in the margins. But if he has to work his way in there, well, it's hard to see. And that's where us 2018 cultural Americans thinking we can have it all and do it all and be all miss those kinds of signs from God. Let's pray.